You're listening to Big Table, a podcast about books and conversation, presented by Invisible Republic, Hattonbeard Press, Dub Lab, and Gold Diggers in Los Angeles. I'm your host, JC Gable. For each episode, we speak to one author about a singular book in a long-form interview. Each interview is then followed by a brief reading, sometimes from the same book being discussed, sometimes by a like-minded title and a different author. But every episode does retain a loose theme throughout and is inspired by the work of radio host and oral historian Studs Turkle. Thanks for listening. Jose Fadi grew up in California's Inland Empire. His second book, Interstate Essays from California, published by Soft Skull Press, is an innovative collection of interconnected essays. All of the pieces appeared previously in a slightly different form elsewhere, but together they create a prismatic picture of California's sprawling nooks and crannies, namely the places we never think to focus on, like agricultural California, but also the gentrifying urban culture of the Bay Area. Body's routines, commuting into work to his old job in San Francisco, is a common thread that weaves these essays together. Although they were all written between 2015 and 2020, as Vadi notes in the afterwards, connecting California, then the COVID-19 pandemic, police violence, and 2020's record-breaking fire season grabbed and pulled at the seams as hard, quickly, and destructively as possible. Vadi, who now lives in Sacramento and has left the Bay Area, has more time to write poems, essays, plays, take photographs, and skateboard, another undercurrent of the book. Interstate is an essential book to read if one wants to understand the California of today. An endemic housing crisis, an ill-prepared bureaucracy to manage climate change and natural disasters, and largely tone-deaf leaders who may say the right things in public, but who are just as compromised as the worst swamp creatures in Washington, D.C. And yet, Vadi's book is also hopeful. We caught up recently to discuss Interstate and what he's up to next. Here's my conversation with Jose Vadi. You wrote a book about parts of California that most people don't really think about anymore. Um, and in our kind of hyper-distracted, short-attention-span theater world that we live in now, um, you know, I found that to be remarkable. Obviously, there's a tradition in doing that going back even before Steinbeck, you know, Frank Norris or something like that. You know, Joan Didion wrote eloquently about um other parts of the state, you know, being from the San Joaquin Valley herself. Um, but was that always the the focus of it? Or did these pieces get written over time and you published them in magazines and then eventually you sort of connected them into a book form? This collection started as a bunch of essays that were written very much individually, kind of like one at a time. Um, and it started in the Bay Area, which you could argue is kind of sometimes overwritten about or maybe written about from a outside lens, oftentimes about Silicon Valley, but not so much about, you know, the actual city of San Francisco. So, you know, I started writing about the world around me, which was, you know, the Bay Area, um, being an East Bay resident and commuting into the city. But, you know, growing up and growing up in Pomona, which is very much kind of uh, outcasted in the L.A. County realm and kind of the entry point to the Inland Empire uh, realm, 
of Southern California, you know, I always kind of knew that I was coming from a, a somewhat outsider place because I was coming not from a metropolitan part of California, which is kind of funny to say, given that Pomona used to be this, you know, like a lot of the place down there, this agricultural empire turned paved suburban sprawl. Right. Um, but, you know, that being said, like just kind of my whole worldview incorporates a lot of California that people drive through or fly over and don't necessarily engage with or think about engaging with on a daily basis. And, um, you know, starting, so, you know, these essays started with writing in, in the Bay area essays, like getting to Susie's and standing in the shadows of brands, which are very much about the kind of my before work and after work routines. And, um, in, as I was working nine to five in San Francisco, and then it really expanded once I digitized this kind of oral history of my grandfather, this, you know, uh, high eight, uh, camcorder, um, produced tape that I'd made in maybe 2005. That's when the, um, gears started turning towards writing about something larger than the Bay area and something about all these different kind of Californias that I've interacted with and that my grandfather has interacted with as a migrant farm worker in, in the forties. So, um, it kind of started hyper-local and then it, it really expanded from there. But, you know, a lot of these essays were written behind the scenes with my editor, Mensa DeMary at Soft Skull. And this, this manuscript was kind of like our little secret, you know, we, no one really knew about it. I wasn't pitching it to other publications or presses. It was just like myself and this editor trying to create this thing. And I think once the essay Interstate came about, that's when we really uh, realized it was a book. I love that you mentioned the word routines because what I loved about the book and what I think a lot of essay books are missing is that sort of connective tissue that brings all the stories together. And I think your routines and the commutes that you're talking about um, really helps the, you know, the stories flow uh, nicely. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm also deeply interested in the sort of this sense of loss um, uh, in that, you know, the gentrification that is on steroids and has certainly gotten worse during the COVID years um, is leading to the erasure of all these wonderful places all over the country. Yeah. It's almost like most major cities mm -hmm. are becoming virtually unlivable for, you know, the, you know, the, the hollowed out middle class, um, which has been going on basically since you were born. And, and I was born in the mid seventies and since Reagan took office basically. Um, yeah. And, and, and I love that you sort of focus on that in the book where it's not that other writers aren't tackling this subject, but there's something uplifting about the way that you frame it uh, where, you know, you don't just reach the end of the essay and just feel so depressed about the, our modern <laughs> world, but you you know, you find these little pockets of joy and, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, someone walking around San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley with the mass transformation of the last 20 years, um, I, you know, it says something about, uh, your perceptions and, you know, is, am I wrong to assume that you sort of seem like you're most comfortable being a, a resident of Oakland? Very much so. I mean, I really love the city of Oakland a lot. Um, a lot, you know, the East Bay in particular is, is, you know, is very much, uh, you know, dear to my heart. It's, uh, you know, I, I moved from Southern California to Berkeley and, you know, for college and, and pretty much stuck around after that, you know, so, but, you know, with that comes a certain perspective of that metropolitan area of the Bay, right? You have this, 
interesting relationship with San Francisco. You know, like I talk about in the book, it's very much the place where I go to work, you know, and come back to this home that is the East Bay. But that, you know, I also love the city and the different pockets within within the city as well. I think the crazy thing for California and, you know, as well as Los Angeles and the Bay Area in particular is that, and I assume Manhattan is the same, where these cities kind of become incubators for hyper-capitalist policies, you know, whether that's a new app or a new type of, I don't know, dormitory housing as opposed to, you know, multi-unit you know unit housing, you know, things like that, you know, you really start to see, you kind of almost see yourself as like a, as like a part of a, I don't want to say experiment because that sounds so conspiracy theory, but, you know, you, you feel like more like a user than a citizen. And, you know, I tried to paint moments of joy in the book to show that joy is a rebellious act to find joy and to find happiness within a town that you love, but that is changing in such a way that it just genuinely makes you sad. <laughs> you know, like I had to really continuously ask myself, like, why am I here? Why do I still love these things? Like, why do I even feel this way? Right. And, um, you know, it's, this book is such an interesting force for my life. Not obviously the, you know, the act of writing it and having it be published and, you know, on shelves is amazing. Like I don't take that for granted in any capacity. This is my first book, you know, but by the time the book was released, I'm, I moved to Sacramento because I'm priced out of the Bay area. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's this interesting full California circle of like, of experiences for me being in, uh, being a Bay area resident. So in a sense, it's like, it kind of makes perfect sense that I would be here in Sacramento, um, but still repping the Bay Area in a sense. You know, like this this book is so much rooted in being an Oakland resident, and I lived there from 2007 to 2021. So you know, you're able to see a lot of those changes. And something I was talking about with Liam uh, Donahue, he does the East Bay Yesterday podcast. Um, he, him, and I were just talking about this era of like the mid aughts. And how it's this interesting, like, post-broadband, pre-social media era of history within the Bay that you can very much feel and kind of intrinsically know if you were there. But it's like, how do we put that down on paper? How do we put that down in a podcast? So I feel like, you know, that was another challenge for me of, like, how do I historicize, like, myself in this area? And by way of that, like, this area and the times that I've experienced here. And, you know, a lot of this book kind of feels like just like the tip of the iceberg. But... Um, you know, a lot of, I am, I really appreciate your observations about the book and these different, um, the way I'm navigating. And I wanted this book to really kind of be like, it sounds so cheesy, but like a narrative compass. Like this is how someone can kind of navigate, um, these changing spaces within this home that, you know, that they love. So, um, California is kind of a bunch of villages of various sizes connected by freeways. And it wasn't always that way. And, you know, getting to know more of the state by way of now living in Sacramento and like having experienced Bay Area experience, you know, I'm super grateful to have seen the types of Californias that that I've that I've witnessed and that are detailed in the book. You know, um, it's also fun to kind of see some things, some of the things that are detailed in the book come to fruition. Like, you know, the, I mentioned a plaque in downtown Oakland that was being you know proposed 
to be installed um, to honor a, a journalist, uh, Chauncey Bailey, who was assassinated on 14th Street. And, you know, I think last week or two weeks ago, that plaque was installed and celebrated, you know. So, like, it's it's interesting to kind of just see how active these histories are and my place within them. So I want to pivot to one other common thread in the book, which is your love of skateboarding, how skateboarding, you know, has threaded through your life since childhood and, you know, and the culture that it represents. And, and also, and, you know, you, you write about it. Um, but, I, you know, I wanted to see if you could speak to that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I love skateboarding and I'm a skateboarder or a skater and it's, uh, it's a big part of how I see the world, you know, um, not, not just in terms of topography of like, Oh, that's a, that handrail looks like a skate spot or something like that. But also in terms of just, um, your relationship with just any space, you know, any physical space, a city, um, it's allowed me to understand architecture more gallery spaces and the way that they're constructed, um, so skateboarding is a really interesting lens as much as it is an activity. Um, and it really speaks to this culture that skateboarding has where we have our own kind of very DIY film industry, you know, through skate videos and, uh, so many references and inside jokes that are so skater driven. Um, there's a photographer, Giovanni Retta, and he has a funny hashtag skateboarders rule the world, I think. And it's, he's, he uses that to showcase how, like, whether it's, fashion or film like there's just always some type of skater involved you know um so i don't know i think skateboarding has just really i was really hesitant to write about skateboarding um i if you've ever seen that steve buscemi meme where he has the board over his shoulder with the backwards hat and he says like hello skaters you know like i was really terrified of being that on the page you know and just like someone being like, you know what, like, fuck this guy. He pushes Mongo. He sucks. You know, like, like, like I, I just, I was just really scared of having a skater just completely write me off. And I still am, um, you know, writing for skate publications kind of as this book was wrapping up and as it was going to publications was a really cool way to, um, kind of test the waters a little bit and write more, I guess, critical and historical, um, you know, approaches to skate essays, um, and that really, you know, in the book, there's spot check, which is all about me kind of walking around the Bay area, trying to find spots. And, um, it's funny, you know, like I kind of got disinterested with skateboarding for a while and it wasn't until writers like Kyle Beachy and writers, you know, like Anthony Papalardo and, um, other folks like publications like quarter snacks, free skate mag out of London. Like it wasn't until stuff like that started coming about in the past 10 years that I started taking more pride of being a skater you know it kind of sucks to say that but like it's really true you know it was really getting stale around the late aughts early 2010s and it you know but in the past 10 years skateboarding has been really just innovative both in the literature side and also just the community you know it's just it's really inspired me to to rep that more you know you're not the first person that's told me that which i think is kind of a remarkable thing like to you know, that, um, you know, that a lot of people have kind of come back to that form, yeah. um, you know, without over-intellectualizing it, you know, there is like a certain way of looking at the world, you know, that you get from, you know, being a flaneur, um, which is, I guess, a lofty term of someone who's walking the city, but, you know, it's even better, you know, on, on, a, on a skateboard, you know, you can certainly cover yeah. more ground. Um, uh, but, but a lot of, um, 
you know, my favorite writing, I guess, sort of comes back to sort of people wandering. Um, and, and, and this book has that sort of current, you know, where, where the commute is, you know, uh, as big a part of the narrative as what you're talking about. Thank you for noticing that too. You know, I, I wanted to have those slices of life, you know, that kind of locals only perspective, um, you know, in the book, um, Maybe it's the product of having of being the son of a New Yorker, you know, who can tell you like corner to corner what each intersection had and was and who lived there. And, you know, like my, my dad had a very uh, kind of visual topography of the New York that he grew up in. And that very much influenced a lot of my writing, I think, and the writers I like. Um, I'm planning a course right now for Indiana University's writers conference this summer. And I'm looking at the essays that I'm suggesting and all of them have to do with this kind of wandering around, observing, bringing past, present, and future all together. And skateboarding is that, you know, skateboarding, you can reference, especially now with the cultures, the generations have kind of all meshed together, as have the communities. And it's no longer a bunch of like a boys club. And it feels more like, oh, these are the people that I would make zines with. Now I get to skate with them. Or like, you know, now now they can we can read each other's writing. There's just a greater acceptance of this, of the kind of interdisciplinary forces that bring that make skateboarding what it is, and um, and the identities therein, you know. So I don't know. It's it, again, like I was really hesitant to write about skateboarding, you know, um, and I still am, you know. I, I really don't want to overintellectualize the thing sometimes, but at the same time, I, I really want to emphasize how powerful this this thing is, you know, and meeting writers like Kyle and um, and just the reception that, you know, this book and other writings I've had around skateboarding, you know, what I've received so far from the community has just been super positive. And um, if that's my way of giving back to skateboarding, you know, um, that's that's cool because it's done a lot for me. So I should note that you're also a playwright, you're a poet, you know, you write for publications. It sounds like you're also doing some professorial work. Obviously, your first published book is this book of essays, so people will know you from the nonfiction form. But I was curious, you know, what what else are you working on since your relocation to Sacramento? Well, you know, I I appreciate you asking that question because uh, it is such a trip now meeting people in the wake of the book and it's this totally new world of you know kind of being an essayist and it's not that I haven't been an essayist but now it's like being formally recognized as such through this book and that being the starting point is so interesting because I come from this really deep performing arts community in the Bay Area um but that being said you know um right now I'm kind of just exploring kind of to the previous question too like what it means to write about skateboarding um, so I don't know if that'll be a collection or if that'll be, you know, the next big nonfiction thing I work on, but it's fun working on that right now. And, um, I kind of just miss writing poetry. So I might just try and write some poems as well. Has your life been simplified in a way? I mean, by moving to Sacramento, have you now been able to sort of quit the so-called day job, you know, the commute jobs that you reference in the book? You know, those, those jobs were kind of, um, were kind of done by the time I moved to Sacramento, um, or they transitioned to remote opportunities. So, um, now I'm, I'm a contract writer for this organization called All Stripes. They do research for the rare disease community. So it's like a totally different 
um, kind of professional thing. And that's like contract writing, getting to interview rare disease patients around the world and, you know, turn their stories into like content and blogs and that's helped share their stories. So I've been doing that and then, you know, writing freelance for, you know, either stuff for, you know, publications, like, like just had a, uh, essay come out with a Yale review, but it's a big transition. You know, I'm in a big, like, kind of, you know, the doors are kind of open of like what I want to do next, you know, it'll definitely be writing, involved writing. Um, but Sacramento is a really beautiful city and a beautiful valley and getting to know this area is really cool. Um, so, and there's, a, there's very much like a bunch of, you know, weirdos <laughs> making art here and doing their thing just like the Bay, which is cool to see. So, um, you know, it's just really exciting. Like it, it very much is this kind of odd, like the book is released and I'm in this totally different city you know, I can't like relive the routines of the book with the book out. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a it's a kind of different experience. Um, so, you know, really in terms of simplification, it's really just allowed me to have like time and space. And I think in addition to joy, those are some of the most like rare kind of valuable things that you can have at your disposal. Interstate Essays from California by Jose Vadi, published by Soft Skull Press, is out now in paperback. Reading this episode, Jose Vadi reads from the title essay, Interstate. The road barrels through the Tehachapis until the base of the Central Valley appears. Rows of green fields and orchards, the mountains receding behind me, small two-lane roads diverting the northbound Highway 58 traffic westward into town, like Comanche Road, my exit, a straight shot to Arvin. The exit conjures the song Comanche by George Ben to my lips, and I sing as loudly as my non-Portuguese-speaking self can sing the chorus, a joyful and rambunctious la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la sung against the sight of fields and the occasional oil well extracting what it can. A slower, modern-day contrast to and reminder of those long, isolated shots of the fictionalized Jode family in The Grapes of Wrath. The actors were paired with found on-site Oki families, paid by director John Ford's team to caravan with their cinematic representations, the Jodes, all the way to Fresno, allegedly for solid work, this scene comprising the final shots of Ford's Oscar-nominated and impressively shot film. Steinbeck's landmark novel concludes with a different image, a young mother nursing an old man to quell his starvation, circumventing social norms in the name of survival. Yet the movie ends with matriarch Ma Jo delivering her sermon about the proverbial people, assumably the American people, finding a way to survive on the land. The studio asks screenwriter Steinbeck and director Ford for something a bit more optimistic for the film's ending, given that the film itself documents the Joe's impoverished journey west 
the family evading everything from scabs to cops and grower goons in between, all in the pursuit of an advertised California. Anything away from the book of Revelation that propelled thousands west to unincorporated, grower-controlled non-cities like so many across this massive expanse. I pass Arvin High School, where kids hold signs announcing a car wash to the infrequent local car and truck traffic and head toward the only local landmark I know, a skate park. Emiliano Zapata stares at me from the wall of a halal market across the street. My feet are on the coping of the bowl occupying most of this ashtray-sized, pristine skate park, a claustrophobic sort of starter park that thankfully exists here. Three road trippers end a warm-up session before they silently pass the skate park baton to the handful of brown rollerblade locals sitting on the one skatable hubba in the park. Now the rollerbladers huck around the park at their leisure, pulling out phones and beginning to film, a hierarchy from best to aspiring to sedentary among their crew immediately taking shape, much like among the out-of-towners who have already left, maybe towards Visalia. But I'm probably too early anyway. It's barely past noon. The old-timers are still molding themselves into their fold-out chairs under the shade of the biggest trees in the park, and I'm reminded of how I always called my friends first thing in the morning to go skate somewhere in Pomona. Nearby, a radio plays songs and commercials in Spanish from one of the homes across the street. A single cop car lurks in the distance, also in the shade, while parents stroll with a handful of kids on the playgrounds far bigger than the skate park. It's hot as hell and everything seems painted sepia with or without sunglasses on, my eye twitching from being outside, which is sad considering it's how I was raised. Adulthood gives you fluorescent lights and a key to your office drawer where parts of your identity hide in secure cubicles. But I grew up like these kids, skating until my legs were numb after checking on Abuelo after school. Walking around the actual park a bit, I wonder about my upcoming conference and how long I'll have a job in any corporate office, before staring at the small hubbas and rails again, remembering the lack of fear I had bombing the hill I grew up on every day, cutting across half of a city with over 100,000 residents in about 20 minutes, all the way from the spots near the hospital on the north side down Gary Avenue to 2nd Street. Such self-propelled crosstown traffic is non-existent here. This is the spot. The high school up the street is a quick bust, same with the junior high that massive farm grower Joseph DiGiorgio built a few miles away. I imagine the locals skating here and never knowing one another's last names, just graph names and go-to tricks, like those crews that shaped me on California land designed for kids to make their own. To support Big Table, go to invisiblerepublic.org and click on the Big Table link. There you will find many ways to financially support this podcast. And thanks in advance. Big Table is produced and presented by Hatton Beard Press and Dub Lab in Los Angeles and is written and edited by yours truly, J.C. Gable. Our sound designer and editor is Matea Baim. Our engineer is Jacob Ross. Special thanks to Alejandro Ale Cohen and Mark Frosty McNeil from Dub Lab for early encouragement and support and to file-sharing company WeTransfer for helping sponsor this experiment in audio storytelling. Big Table is also funded in part by Invisible Republic, a nonprofit arts organization based in Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. You can find out more about their programming and publications at invisiblerepublic.org. Thanks again for listening.